Welcome back to the Honest EP podcast. We're the podcast for health professionals and the wider community looking to explore diverse ideas in health, ask some hard questions and have some honest conversations. My name is Archie. I'm an EP based on Sydney's Northern Beaches and joining me as always is allied health business owner, Andrew, who is holding a beer. Andrew, what are we drinking? We're drinking an Akasha. Do you yeah, think that's sure. how you pronounce it? I think so. Akasha Freshwater Pale Ale. Mm-hmm. How, how would you describe this beer? Baby Archie. blue. Baby blue. Baby blue tinny uh, with like an Illuminati triangle on it. Because it looks like an eye. It does. It? Um, but it's based in Five Dock in Sydney. And it's called Freshwater. So lots of Sydney connections here. Well done. Um, yeah. It tastes all right. It's hard. When I go to the bottle now to actually get beers for this, it's almost hard to find, harder to find craft beers that are less than 5% alcohol <laughs> than ones that are more. I feel like every second one you go past is like 8%, 7%, 6.5%. It's like, that's too much for me to have to drive home after having one or two of these. So this, we're kind of limited in our selection. We are. But... These look nice. They do. Mm. They do. Mm. So, um, we are today going to have a chat about leadership. There's, in a lot of the Facebook groups that uh, EPs are a part of, uh, there's been a lot of talk recently about different pathways that practitioners can have uh, as a business owner. I feel like it's an important instrument to have within your business to be able to give practitioners, give people the opportunity to do more non-clinical roles that fit within their strengths. So in light of those conversations, we thought we'd kind of put the focus a little bit on you um, because you are in a position of leadership within Rebound. Uh, and so perhaps I'd like you to start by telling us your story, telling us how you got to where you are now and what that role actually looks like. Sure. It's, I feel like my, my journey, my EP story has been compressed quite, uh, into quite a short amount of time. And I think part of that is, or largely in part due to rebound growing at such a fast rate as well so there's just kind of been the necessity for people to 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 take jumps and take steps um as the team's growing we've needed people to take on other roles uh so you know i've been practicing for um about three and a half years as an ep at rebound and after about a year and a half our team had grown from the, the three EPs at Brookvale to five and Worrywood had gone from two to three um, and we'd also brought on uh, some others at different sites as well as that. So the team had you know, almost more than doubled in a very, very small amount of time. And at that point, you could no longer uh, mentor and look after the entire team. It was very quickly got um, it basically became your entire week at some point, looking after all the EPs plus the physios plus um, the dietitian plus the OTs that were coming on. And so we had to 
within our professions build almost a, a structure of leadership and some people to do clinical mentoring and run meetings, that sort of thing. So that's where I started to take a bit more of a role was by running some meetings, running some clinical meetings and some uh, going through some clinical discussions with some of our newer EPs who are coming on and doing some informal one-on-one mentor- mentoring with them while our head EP, Lauren, was doing more uh, overall inductions uh, and formal mentoring with them. And then as uh, the team grew and I, uh, we had more EPs, I had to do more of that informal mentoring and kind of discovered, we worked out that that was something that I really enjoyed doing. And I, we found that I was not bad at doing it as well. And I think that the other EPs got good benefit from it. Uh, and so we came to a point earlier this year where uh, there was a role for Lauren to jump into, which was looking after more of the whole multidisciplinary team and for me to step into her shoes as uh, kind of a, a leader of the EP team and do the more formal mentoring one-on-one with the team. Seemed like a natural step for me, but then also seemed natural for the team as well in their reactions that people seemed to think that was a logical decision which was great so it happened quite naturally and quite quickly Uh, and then for the last six months or so I've been doing that which is great I really enjoy it well that's good Mm. I mean that's the main thing is that you enjoy doing it Mm. Um, so I'm interested uh, through that process um, what what in fact before we go there can you walk people through what your week looks like now? Sure. Like what, what, what are your responsibilities and how does that kind of play out into your normal week? Sure. So I'm still a, a full-time EP and my, my aim is for my you know, 38 to 40 hour week uh, or book to be about 70 to 75% uh, with face-to-face clients. And then the rest of that is I'll have half hour one-on-one mentoring sessions with each of our EPs. If they're in their first 12 weeks of joining us, then there's an X or that's uh, an hour or just over an hour of one-on-one mentoring week to go through induction stuff to show policies, procedures, learning, that kind of thing as well. Uh, We have a weekly EP team meeting that I um, structure. I don't run all of them, but then it's, it's up to me to kind of organise what will happen in it and then if someone else is running it, then uh, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but then most, most of it comes down to just day-to-day stuff happening. Someone has a question, I get a slack. Someone turns around, has a clinical question, I help them go through it. Um, someone's sick, we reschedule their clients. Someone's going away, we look at their book. Uh, someone wants to change their hours. There's... there's a lot of day-to-day things that I didn't realize was part of it but that's really most of the behind the scenes non-clinical stuff is just things that happen on the day Mm. is that what you expected no when coming into it no No. I thought that most of my time was going to go to uh, the clinical mentoring side Uh, and I found that's come 
uh, not not naturally, but I quite enjoy that. So that takes less uh, mental energy for me to do. Whereas the the day to day things uh, of just kind of putting out little fires and stuff, I I kind of didn't realize that that was going to be so much of it. So that is something that probably is the most effort mm. for me. Yeah. I think that's very true. The, mm. A lot of people that step into these sort of roles that uh, you, you think it's going to be all mentoring mm. and all just like discussing cases, but mm. so much time gets absorbed with... Yeah. And and I, I, I thought so... Well, not I thought. Uh, you think so much of your time is going to go to big picture stuff and it ends up being very small picture, um, let's get through this week kind of thing, as opposed to what is the EP team going to look like in a year? Mm-hmm. And, and then, you know, I might not get to think about that for two weeks or something. And then suddenly there's, ah, oh, so there's some time to plan for that. So that isn't as much of it as I thought it was, mm. which is quite interesting. What do you enjoy about your role? I thought about this and I think what I enjoy most about it and it's something that is very much my personality, not just at work, is I get to hear the other practitioners' wins and struggles and about their clients and what they're going through and then when they have a really good experience or a really good outcome or breakthrough with a client I feel like it's my <laughs> win breakthrough so it's almost like um, I'm breakthrough adjacent with all of them <laughs> and because there's so many people and there's so many of them happening then I get so much fun out of it and so much joy out of seeing them have awesome things happen to them because mm. I feel like that I, I'm a part of it yeah nice <laughs> Whereas, you know, if it was just me doing my clients, um, you know, I, I get a lot of that, but now I get more of it. It's even better. <laughs> I love it. That's probably my favorite thing. That's is good. hearing about other people's uh, processes, wins, struggles, and then seeing the result of those mm. and kind of helping them navigate through that. Yeah, nice. Um, if younger practitioners or younger allied health professionals were interested in developing leadership skills how did you do it and what would you recommend to them to be able to improve their skills i that's a really good question uh i think it's hard i don't think there is a like a set formula for becoming a good leader or developing the skills and I was thinking about what I went through to get here and and by no means do I think that I'm a a good a good leader or a perfect leader or have nothing to improve on I've only been doing it for a couple months but I think one of the main things for me was that I was surrounded by good leaders and good teachers and I'd had lots and lots of discussions with them so in, in other words, having good mentors, I think is really important. So having you, who I had lots of chats about this kind of stuff, and Lauren, and having lots of chats about this kind of stuff was so, so, so important. <laughs> so important and so useful. I think just absorbing information, whether that was 
a direct conversation about how to be better at this or just noticing things that you did when you were helping me with things and what kind of demeanor and what kind of questions you asked me and you know how you approach different challenges that was very very useful so that was one finding good leadership mentors uh there are some really good books oh love a book um what's some good books the, the most recent specific book about this stuff uh that i read was the coaching habit um i know you've read that one Mm-hmm. I can't remember who, who wrote it. Michael Stanya. Michael Bungay Stanya. God. Wrote it. Wow. What an encyclopedia knowledge you are. I remember it because he has a lisp and I listened to his <laughs> I listened to his most recent book, <laughs> The Advice Trap. Oh, okay. On Audible. Yeah. And he has a lisp and that's for some reason that's why it sticks in my head. But I agree. I yeah. coaching habit is a wonderful, mm. wonderful book. For for people who haven't read it. Um, it basically breaks down uh, what you would do in a mentoring session and you know the best nine questions or something uh, that you can go through mm. for, to help someone approach a problem or a challenge. Mm. And it, it just makes things seem way more simple and it gives you way more direction, especially when you don't really know what to do and, but, and you also don't want to fall into the trap of you know, telling someone what to do when it would be much more beneficial for them to learn and work it out themselves and you guide them there. But yeah, that's probably my best book. I don't know, have you read other books that you think would be beneficial for leadership stuff? Yeah, yeah. look, I, I, again, I think there's the, there are a lot of great books. Patrick Lencioni has read or has written a bunch of good books. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm actually reading one of his at the moment called... Um, the ideal team player. Mm. Um, that's a that's a wonderful book. Um, the hard thing about hard things mm. is also a great book, um, uh, as well as um, the five dysfunctions of a team, mm-hmm. which is a it's more of a fable than mm. a uh, uh, you know really hard learning kind of book. But it mm. walks through five or six very practical examples of a challenge that a leader might be presented with and what a, what's a good way of yeah. dealing with that situation and, and what's perhaps less productive way mm. of dealing with that. So, mm. yeah, there's there's all sorts of resources out there, but I think it's, it's really important to find the ones that align with you as a person mm. because you don't just want to read a book and try and mimic what's no, in there there are definitely books that I've read I'm sure you've read where the person's style doesn't suit your own or doesn't suit your type of practice and you know you've got to put it through your filter that not everything you read is going to work for you mm. even if it, they're a, a great professional it might not work for you and that's yep. really fine yeah. yeah absolutely I feel like you read a shit ton of books I like reading yeah, I enjoy reading. Reading or listening? Or uh, I listen when I run. Mm-hmm. I enjoy listening when I'm running, uh, but I will read. I like, yeah, right. I, I'm an old school yeah, okay. reader. I feel like a lot of people struggle with uh, books when you say, hey, you should read this book, and they go, I don't have time to read a book. Mm. When do you read books? So I 
I have a fairly strict bedtime routine. Mm-hmm. Uh, seven my, o'clock. My kids, my kids go to bed at seven thirty. Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife and I will then sit down for like an hour, either watch some Netflix or mm-hmm. whatever. Uh, I'm in bed at eight thirty, mm-hmm. and I will read for like forty five minutes to an hour. Nice. Okay. And that's it. Winds me down. It's yeah. good for you know, obviously not going straight from screens to asleep. Mm. Um, but that's my reading time every day, okay. and that's I can. I can do it. So, yeah, it's if you're if you're not choosing to read, you are choosing to do something else, mm. right? Mm. Which is Netflix or Ko or PlayStation. Yeah. Which is fine. Like I'm not I'm not having a dig, but mm. to say that I don't have time to read is bullshit. Like, of course you've got time to read. I, I like that di- um, distinction. There, it's like you are choosing to do something else instead of yeah. You can't just fit it in around your day. Because everyone's always doing something. There isn't going to be 45 minutes of you sitting there doing nothing <laughs> that you can then just pick up a book in, right? You have to replace something, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Did you replace something? Yeah, with... more Netflix. Yeah, right. Interesting. Yeah. So we we used to just, you know, watch a bit more TV. Two more, like another episode. Another episode. And yeah. then it was straight to bed. Mm-hmm. And um, particularly over the last couple of years, I've tried to really clean up what are the things that I'm doing, mm. particularly during the week, so that I'm turning up to work mm. with a good mindset and refreshed each day. Mm. And reading definitely ticks that box yeah. for me nice. in terms of getting good quality sleep, but also mm. investing in my... Because like you said before, like there are there's no like really great course mm. on how to be a good allied health leader. Mm. Mm. So you need to absorb bits and pieces from different authors and yes. things like that to be able to do mm. it. So I think on that point of absorbing information, I think it's partly done subconsciously and then partly done consciously as well. There's some things that I didn't realize that I had picked up from you or Lauren or other leaders I've had in sport or whatever um, that I just picked up on uh, how they talk and how they ask you questions and listen to you and then there's other things that I've had to consciously go I need to get better at this and I need to learn this skill Mm. I think it's definitely a combination of both Mm. so I think just being aware of your surroundings and not just kind of floating through uh, your your early years as a practitioner Mm. and you know just being conscious of how other people around you act is Mm. very very useful Mm. because you can pick up tips from them and do it reasonably subconsciously Mm. but then you also need to dedicate some time to getting better at it Mm. and that takes time and so it's not just going to come within your 38 to 40 hour week Mm. you know even when you're not at work you are you know you'd have 45 minutes to an hour every night during the week of reading and not all of that would be personal development and professional growth but Mm. some of it would be Mm. and that's beneficial to you in your work life Mm. and being a leader so I think that's the same you some time has to be dedicated to learning this stuff yeah and if you want to pursue this side of your health career you're going to have to do something outside of your 38 to 40 hours a week because that's that those hours are for just being the practitioner. You know, mm. those hours should be filled with being the best practitioner you can, and focusing on that is a good thing. 
some of our some of our enormous listening base mm. might be young EPs or young health professionals uh, working in a small team, mm. right? So they they might be working with one or two or three other people mm. um, and might have heard what we've said mm. and said, well, that's easy for you because you work in a larger team and so that there is a clear kind of pathway for them mm. or for you, right? Mm. Um, and might kind of have then this kind of self-limiting belief of, well, that's just not in my pathway mm. because within my small team, there's not the capacity to be able to take over mm. these things. What would your response be to that? That's an interesting question. Uh, my initial response is you're not limited to your small team. Another response would be a small team isn't always going to be a small team, especially if who you are in that team and the team you have around you are good at what they do, there should be growth. And growth is generally going to involve bringing on more people. And if there are younger, newer people, not necessarily younger, if there are newer, less experienced people on your team, there's an opportunity to practice and help and mentor. And it doesn't have to be formal. Mm. I think... I think something that is really important is that you shouldn't have the title of leadership position before you start doing it. You should already be implementing the behaviours of a leader um, before you take on a role. And I'm sure that's something that you, as a business owner, take into account when you're looking for people for these positions. that you're looking for people who have that potential and uh, are doing it before they get offered or apply for a role. Is that right? Hundred mm. percent. It's uh, it, it's it's hundred percent true. It's exactly what we look for. Is we're looking for the people that are, um, they're going the extra mile from a client care perspective. They're mm. they're doing their kind of ticking off all the boxes from a practitioner perspective. But they also have this ability to draw people towards them. That they are seen without the title as a leader. Um, And that can look like answering clinical questions. It can look like putting their hand up for things that are, you know, not... not, um, in their day-to-day job description. Uh, it can be taking the rubbish out when the bins mm. are full. Like, it doesn't need to be over-the-top, extravagant, like, acts. It can just be seeing something that needs to be done and just doing it because mm. that's what a leader does. They, mm. they take the initiative. Um, and, yeah, whether that is building a CPD program or taking the bins out because they're full mm. and not and and the rationale behind that is that um, I'm just going to take the bins out because they need to be taken out mm. alternately that's not my job yeah it's not my job to take the bins out mm. so I don't need to do it yeah a leader doesn't think that way 
I'll either think like, oh, something needs to be done, I'll go and do mm. it. Another example would be like answering the phone or something. Yep, returning yeah. phone calls, returning mm. emails. Mm. Um, you know, a, a doctor called and they want some flyers. Great, I will walk down and I will take them the flyers. Now, yeah. I'm not going to go and tell somebody to go and do that yeah. and schedule it into their calendar for next week. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just so, do it. Those are the things. And I, I think, to, to your point before, I think one of the great attributes about a leader is that a leader tries to create other leaders. Mm. Or it's a leader's responsibility to create other leaders. Mm. And how you do that is not be the fixer, mm. right? Not be the one that I have all the answers and I'm just going to tell you mm. what the answers are. Mm. To be able to kind of step back from that and, and help that person who's come to you with an issue to find some solutions themselves. Mm. And again, that's something that you don't have to have a title in order to do. You just mm. have that ability to want to help other people grow and mm. progress. And they're the people that kind of go, oh, we, we sort of go, oh, that's, mm. that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, you definitely look for those things. Yeah. I think an interesting point on that as well is if you are trying to help people and I'm doing my inverted comma things here uh, by just trying to fix people's problems and do things for them to, to make it better. You are giving yourself more and more to do, which then takes away from your ability to do what your actual role is. Mm. Instead of helping that person learn to do and fix their own problems and progress and grow, if you just take over because you know how to do it, you're stopping their learning opportunity, but also stopping yourself from doing things that would be a better use of your time as well. Mm. Mm. Do you need to be a good practitioner to take on a, a mentoring role or a, or a leadership role? I think you do. I think you need to be... Ah, oh, you interesting. Weren't, you weren't expecting that answer, Interesting. I like it. Ah, tell tell me I have, more. I have a rationale for this. I think you need to be a good practitioner. I don't think you need to be the best practitioner or an amazing one. Mm. If you... And then on the other side of things, I don't think if you're a really good practitioner, that makes you a good leader. So the, for the first one... I think you at least need to have an idea about what's going on to a level. You don't have to be a 10 out of 10, a 9 out of 10 with everything, but having a good idea of your clinical skills is useful because then you can at least guide people towards the right answers and help them you know, uh, work out the problems themselves without you being completely blind. Mm -hmm. I, I think it is... For me personally, it is difficult to uh, guide people and teach people, or not to guide people to uh, uh, solving their own problems when I don't at least have an idea of what would be a good solution. I like it. That makes sense. In saying that, a lot of our EPs know a lot more about different conditions and things than I do. Mm. And I think that's totally fine. Mm. I think that's really, really good. Mm. It's not good if, 
if, if I'm the, the most capable clinician for every condition, that's not good at all. Uh, so I think it's great that a lot of our EPs are very, very good at mm. different things. Uh, crack. Can I? I'm going to crack yeah. you. Um, I'm going to ask you an off script question here. Um, how would you go hmm. mentoring someone outside of your profession? So you are in a position of yep. leadership, mm-hmm. and uh, let's say that you know uh, uh, you an opportunity comes up and, and instead of mentoring EPs, yep. you're now mentoring a dietitian. Yep. Right? Um, are you completely unqualified to mentor a dietitian because you're not a dietitian? I don't think so. But there are skills that I cannot help them with. Mm-hmm. So I will not be able to help them with any of their clinical dietetics knowledge, obviously, because mm-hmm. I have no idea about that. I could do some research, but that's not going to, you know, help, you know, get anywhere near their university experience plus multiple years of clinical experience. What skills do cross over in allied health are communication, business skills, marketing, interpersonal skills, these sorts of things. Mm. And a lot of those don't change between professions. Also, there are a lot of things with mentoring that you can with good questioning lead people down the right path or help them reflect on what they should be doing without you necessarily knowing the right answer to it I do think that's harder though Mm. so I'm not saying it's not possible but I think it's harder and there are a lot of skills you can help with but then you know I'm I would definitely say that I would be better at mentoring an EP than I would be a dietitian. That makes sense. Just because of my experience. Mm-hmm. I think the, the further you get away from the need for clinical specific mentoring, the easier it be- become. Now, if that person wanted help with uh, professional growth and marketing and building their... Um, their client base and building their business and that sort of thing that would become easier Mm. and I'm sure you get that as well right because you mentor business owners but not all of these allied health businesses would be the same structure as ours right yeah right Mm. so some are much smaller some are much bigger Mm. um, and some aren't my profession Mm. Uh, but there are commonalities and there are common there are common challenges that whether you're a practitioner or whether you're a business owner that you will come across mm. right um, 100% right I'm not a dietitian I mm. wouldn't know uh, diet analysis if it hit me in the face mm. um, but if I take my put my business hat on and I look at somebody's dashboard and I see, okay, well, their rebooking is not in comparison to other dietitians, mm. is not comparable, mm. then I know how to have the conversation or I know what conversation to have in order to help mentor them to improve their rebooking. Mm. 
Hmm. Hmm. So I can, I suppose, I don't know if that's directly clinical, but it's it's probably more the communication mm. side of things. Mm. So I can help business owners and I can help practitioners to overcome some of the more general challenges about how to how to grow a caseload, mm. how to grow a team, how to improve the client experience, how to keep or make sure those clients are achieving the outcomes that they want to achieve when they first engaged mm. with your service. Mm through common threads that are learned from an EP perspective, but mm. are, are just as applicable mm. to any profession. Because you would have had to do that when we first brought on other disciplines. Mm. You would have been the one doing the clinical mentoring. I, I did. I was. Yeah. Um, I also had like massive imposter syndrome. Kind of thing. I'm like, <laughs> I'm not a dietitian. How can I mentor a dietitian? That doesn't yeah. make any sense. Uh, and it was only over time that it was like, okay, well, some of the challenges that a people face are uh, similar, like mm. um, getting clients to, in inverted commas, buy into the service that you are, or the treatment plan that you are delivering to them, mm. uh, help them to effectively rebook their clients for next session. Uh, working through strategies to improve them from not cancelling those mm. appointments, uh, connecting with referrers and, and having good conversations to be able to build a referral network. Mm. Um, all of these things from a business perspective cross over to the practitioner. Mm. And while I had my own self-doubt at the beginning, I realised that it's, it's, it's very similar. Mm. Very, very similar profession mm. to profession. Mm. The challenge with a lot of non-EP professions is, uh, or, or when people come in for the first time, that there are preconceptions about certain things. And, and within certain professions, those preconceptions are more strongly driven when people are in uni or mm. um, if they're coming to us from perhaps a, a public health system where there is a strong hierarchy and a mm. strong like you must do this and then this and then this mm, mm. Um, some of them take a, little, a bit longer to kind of break down um, but the I think the fundamentals are still there and, and even now like I'm I wouldn't know much about EP from a, a like if, if one of the, the team came and asked me about oncology or Sure. Things like that. I wouldn't know the first thing about it. But that's a lie. You know cancer quite well. But but but, but that's the example. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it's often not the real question that people are uh, actually. And yes. this, I think that refers back to that book that you were talking about. Mm. Um, the coaching habit is what is what the is real the challenge? real challenge? Oh, yeah. 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 Um, which is which often kind of is not the the nitty gritty of prescription it's more about uh, this person is I'm not vibing with this person yeah. I'm not communicating effectively with this yeah. person um, they're not doing what I'm asking them mm. to do and we think that that's a, a prescription problem but actually that's a communication problem and, yes. and so that's that's the real yes. question and that's where you can mm. provide assistance yeah yeah mm. it, it, it's interesting on that 
because I find that when some of our practitioners uh, more recently have had some very complex cases of uh, eat, like our EPs have come with eating disorder clients or uh, very complex chronic fatigue clients, which I have very, very little experience with. Uh, and at those points, it's really just me supporting uh, their search for more information and their search for good guidelines and mm. ideas for that. Mm. And then when they have the research and the information that they want to use, it's saying, cool, how can we deliver and communicate this information effectively to the client and educate them on this? And, and, and that's where I can have more of an impact. Yeah. Can, I think that, that feeds into that kind of fix-it mentality that you were talking yes. about before. That with those very complex, um, you know, chronic for, chronic fatigue mm. sort of clients that those, you know, we, we like to go in there because we know the answer. Yes. As practitioners, we know the answer. Yeah. We know that we can help these people. Mm. And I was definitely guilty of this. Like, <laughs> I, I know how to help you yeah. and I'm just going to throw some information <laughs> at you. And then sometimes it worked really well mm. and the clients were like, oh my God, you've just yeah. helped me. And, like, and other times it was like, you, you put me five steps backwards yeah. from what you've just told me. Yeah. And again, like the real challenge there is just meeting the person where mm. they're at. Mm. And you're 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 only going to the extent that they're willing to yes. take on this information. Yes. yes. Um, and as a mentor, that's the role, right? Mm. Mm. Pace yourself, or yeah. go harder, or yeah. just realize that yeah. you need, as a practitioner, you need to modify mm. your way of doing things and meet the person. I had a really interesting chat with one of our EP students this week after we had an initial where it was that classic case of we need to meet the client where they are and that was not where the clinical guidelines for exercise prescription were mm. and we there was no way that that person was going to accept the clinical guidelines as uh, the good recommendation in that session and for the student that was interesting Mm. because at uni it's very much okay here's a case study of a person what are the clinical guidelines for that condition and uh, therefore how many sessions a week are they doing how many exercises what are they, what's the intensity mm. go whereas in the real world if someone comes in and they're doing absolutely nothing and they work five to six days a week and you then go, cool, you need to be doing aerobic exercise five times a week and then two to three resistance exercise sessions a week. Um, structured. Let's do it. They go, fuck off. <laughs> no. No. And then you go, well, no, but that's what you're supposed to do. I was like, well, I don't want to do it. I was like, well, you need to do it. I was like, well... We'll just stand here and stare at each other then. Yeah, no, I'll go and find somebody else that'll tell me a, a, exactly. a simpler solution. Yeah. yeah. So instead of actually getting a good outcome uh, by doing something that is less than what the clinical guidelines tell you to do and building on that, you've got zero. Mm. So by actually trying to give the clinical guidelines, you've actually ended up with nothing. Mm. And that's mm. not me and the client. No, that's not really relevant. But I just thought it was an interesting well, it, story. Well, it is. It is. Yeah. I think it is relevant because as a, it's, it's the same thing with leadership, right? Like as part of being a leader, you have to 
hold your team mm. to a certain standard, mm. right? That standard is reflected in our values and, mm. and the challenge is that when people step outside of those values, mm. that it's actually your responsibility to let them know yeah. that that's happened and to help them to come back to that. Um, this is a, a lovely segue into my next question of oh. the challenges of leadership, mm. right? You know, we talked a little before about, you know, what you think what you thought leadership was going to be and how that was a little bit different. Mm. But I'm, I'm interested in what are some of the challenges that you're facing kind of week on week? Um, and yeah, well, look, I, I stepped into this role kind of the start of this year and immediately we had another outbreak of COVID. <laughs> right. <Yeah. Woo-hoo. laughs> so immediately, immediately, the, the challenges were on a Sunday afternoon or a Monday morning or halfway through the week, I get a call or a message from one of the EPs going, I'm positive. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I go, great. <laughs> um, yeah. We have to reschedule a whole week of clients. Mm. And for, for a team who you know, does not work based off a great Senate to the receptionist sense of the admin and they will deal with it. No, we deal with problems ourselves within our team. That's, that's how we do things here. Um, so that was having, that was happening week on week on week. Yeah, it was. And that was rough. It was rough. And it was also at a point where we didn't want to just cancel and, leave everything for another week with clients because with so many staff members out, that ha- takes a big hit on the business as well. Uh, and, you know, you have a certain level of transparency with your practitioners, but then there's also the thing that's like, well, I don't want to tell them that, like, you know, things are, like, really bad right now and, you know, if so many practitioners just not working every for, for days and weeks on end uh, is actually really, really difficult. And we need to try and keep as many of these sessions as possible. Um, that was quite stressful. That's just <laughs> some hard shit to deal with. Yeah. Especially when like one of them, I, I was down the South coast um, <laughs> and I was, I don't know, I was already like two beers oh, in no. on a Sunday Arvo and, and I get a call <laughs> saying like, I can't go in this week. I'm um, I've got COVID or I'm, I'm a close contact. I was like, all right, I'll, I'll, see, what, I'll see what I can do. Have another beer. <laughs> that'll, my, that'll help the situation. And my thumbs are kind of half working. <laughs> and, oh dear. So oh. A, at least initially, the the week to week rescheduling of diaries and shifting across and calling clients and making sure we don't miss out anyone. Because mm. uh, that's the worst thing. Um, and... and, and you know, people fall through the cracks and we, we miss a communication and someone turns up for a session and, you know, we, we've missed them. Yeah. And that feels shit yeah. because then the client experience is affected and, and that's the number one thing. So, uh, you know, you have a, a week where that happens and then so the next week you're so, like, we have to be like 300% positive 
that everybody has been covered, every session's covered, um, so that we don't have a situation where someone turns up and um, we have to turn them away or they have to wait or something because that feels like crap. Uh, that's probably the hardest thing mm. I've found so mm. far. The other hardest thing, so that, so that was just more of like a, an acute thing, that yeah. like COVID's been shit, but that's not, a, <laughs> that's not just me. No, no, that's, that's not everyone. just you, but that's, so, that's yeah. it's, it's like a, a level of stress and anxiety that's mm. just been sitting there yes. for a long time. Yeah. Which for the last month, knock on wood, has been a little bit lower uh, of a stress, which is great. Mm. Um, the other one I thought of was I had to get better at asking people about how they were going not work-related or mm. clinically related. Were they experiencing any problems that weren't about clients? And not accepting the face value answer either. What so do you mean by that? Going, how are you going? And they'll say, good. And then instead of, and initially, I would take that at face value and go, great, cool. Anyway, how are your clients? Mm. Any challenges at the moment? Um, whereas uh, I realized that I was probably missing out on a lot of information because I wasn't actually digging deeper uh, and asking people things that I should be asking. So getting better at the questioning to actually get people to open up. I think part of that is people becoming okay with me asking them those questions and then mm. getting comfortable telling me these things. Mm. So that just takes time. But then also asking the right questions and going, hey, I, I know it's been like a really stressful week for you, all the things have been going on. How are you feeling with all of that? Mm. Um, and bringing up that kind of stuff there. Yeah. That was, uh, that was a challenge for me because previously in any of my non-formal or more informal mentoring, I haven't had to ask any of that stuff. That hasn't been... Uh, something that was front of mind for me. Yeah. So that was something that I had to, and still have to get better at. You know, it's, it's something that like, you can always consciously get better at doing those things and, and reading people, mm. reading individuals, because everyone's different. Yeah. Some people, you, you don't even say anything. You sit down and you look at them and they tell you everything. Mm. And some people naturally need to, uh, you know, start and build into it and then they'll start to open up mm. and, and realising which person and what kind of personality they are. And reading that mm. uh, makes a big difference. So anytime there's a new person uh, working out that kind of what their personality is and how they like to go about things, mm. in what situation they're more comfortable talking about things, mm. those are the challenges. Are there, are there any strategies that you could give to people to to our to our listeners that would assist that i know for me one is silence mm. like, so um one of the challenges that i you know you, you kind of said it before that part of the transition for me over time was that i was trying to see a caseload of clients and trying to mentor 15 people at the same time 
and it's very it's a challenge for me to um, flick my mind between mm. practitioner mode to mentor mode to finance mode to whatever um, and I would sometimes go into those sessions and like you said just like hey hey go yep good mm. straight into my preconceived thoughts about what mm. I'm going to do during that mentoring session mm. with that person mm. um, so for me silence was one of the tools that I used to go like hey Archie how are you feeling mm. and you go good and you just kind of leave a bit mm. of space there because I've found that a little bit of space mm. allows people to like just reflect a little bit on what they just said yeah and then there might if, if I'm picking up some of those vibes I'm like oh just good like is, is there anything else going on mm. so for me that's been a a, a good tool yeah to use that's really good one. Another one I've found as good is having a clarifying question after you ask that question. So you have your initial, how are you going? How are you feeling? You know, what's up? However, and then whatever their response is, if they don't open up from that, then I have a clarifying question that will ask them kind of to dig deeper a little bit. So it will be, Hey, it looks like you've had a really busy week. You know, how's that been? Mm. And that might open something up or I know you had some stuff going on last week or last week you told me, you know, you, you were struggling a little bit or you're a little bit stressed. Mm. So a little leading, mm. but enough to leave an open space for them. I've found that as being quite useful with some people. So I'm, I'm going to dig deeper on that because mm. I'm, I'm interested in your role as a leader versus perhaps a service or a support that might be more um, clinical sure. in nature, right? So I'll, I'll clarify that. Yeah. So... Say somebody comes to you during your mentoring sessions and say, hey, Archie, or you, you ask, hey, how you going? Mm. And I'm like, like, I'm not doing good. Mm. Like, I'm anxious all the time. Mm. I'm stressed. Um, there's a lot going on outside of work. Mm. But I feel like when I come to work, it's affecting the way that I am with my clients because I'm not, I don't have that same kind of energy that I mm. had before. How do you kind of work through what is things that you can control mm. as their leader mm. versus I think you might need to get some help outside of mm. me? Mm. I mean, I, I think it's super important straight away to find out what kind of supports this person does have and making it known that it is very important to have supports and that we do have a support system that people can access as well. We have like an employee, employee assistance program that people can access. Then I would want to find out once we've started talking about it, is there anything I can do to help? 
or is there anything we as rebound can do to help you mm. yeah our conversation it's and, and, I, and I, I suppose the reason for the question is there might be some people that kind of see that mental health area mm. as going oh that's not me mm. like it's not my responsibility mm. as a mentor to ask somebody how they're doing mm. from a mental health mm. perspective although you might see it in the clinic although you might mm. see people kind of showing up to work mm. and you know previously they would turn up 15 minutes early and, and be ready and mm. you know over time mm. maybe they're turning up right on or they're yeah. a couple of minutes late and they mm. look a bit tired and they're not they're not mm. themselves mm. and there might be some people that go well that's not my job as a leader to poke into that area of mm. kind of personal wellness mm. um, what are your thoughts on I that? think it is whether that person feels comfortable talking to me about that or not I think I still have to ask this stuff because my job is to know about this personal's well this per- sorry this person's well-being I want to know this stuff mm. If they feel comfortable talking to me or not, that's another question. Uh, if they do, great, I can listen. I can mm. hear about what they're going through. And then based on that, we can come up with some strategies about uh, whether it's enough that we can support them or if there would be benef- benefit in them seeking some external support. Mm. If it is a problem that like other people are experiencing, can we normalize what they're going through? Mm. Make them feel more comfortable. It's like, hey, it's, it's okay. You know, it. a lot of people have experienced the stress and the anxiety of going through this kind of thing. Mm. You know, you're, you're not alone here. It's okay. We can talk about that. Mm. Uh, yeah. I, I totally agree. I think it's it's almost your responsibility as, mm. as being in a position of, leadership to make sure that mm. there is well-being within the team and, yeah. and like yes i'm not a psychologist mm. i'm not going to be able to provide strategies mm. for you to actually address some of these mm. issues but you're right like there are things that we can do that any business owner mm. could do to help provide some reassurance mm. or some like uh strategies at work mm that will help manage or not exacerbate yes. any kind of Absolutely. symptom that people are feeling yeah. outside of work. If I, if we avoid talking about the problem, the person is going to notice that as well. And then I'm feeding into the stigma about talking about it, mm. which is worse. And then we're basically shutting the door on that person ever wanting to open up and talk about that at work mm. which is a huge problem huge problem mm. so yeah you know, the the least you can do is is ask and say that you are open to listening and talking about it if that person wants to and at least then you have opened the door for it and they don't feel like they've had the door shut and mm. they can't talk about that stuff at work mm. 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 Well, that was lovely. That that just went down a very nice little rabbit hole there, but I feel like I that's so. very, very practical and very useful yeah. for people that it's yeah. not uh, 
mental health is something that we talk about with our clients and, mm. and maybe mm. with our partners, but mm. in being in positions of leadership, it's actually a responsibility to touch base on these things. And Yeah. I want to be part of people's things. support system. Right? There are things that people can do. And it's obviously like a, any mentoring session with any mentor should be a confidential um, place, mm. a safe place for someone to talk about anything that they want to. So, you know, I think that is a very kind of good, meaningful, useful, practical information mm. for us to end on. I think so. Yeah. My beer has not got much left in it as well. No, we've done well with the beers. Well yeah. done, Akasha. Yeah, it's mm. delicious. It was very easy to I drink. I love it. Yeah. Mm. Good. Mm. I've never heard of it before. But it's based in Sydney and it's called Freshwater. I don't know if Freshwater is referring to like Freshy Harbour or if that's, you know, they use fresh water to make it. I I don't know. Mm. It's based in Five Docks, so it's not a a Northern Beaches beer. There you go. There we go. There we go. They've done a good beer. Very good. Very good. Well, thank you. That'll do. Alrighty. Goodbye. See you later, everyone.